0: Off the ball The last battle In the Ronaldo-Messi war Mm. was that World Cup And uh, Ronaldo lost it And then then he ended up At like An Massa. Subscribe now To the OTB football podcast stream Wherever you get your podcasts And download The OTB sports app The F1 pod On Off the ball With Chicago Town Pizza Formula 1 Yeah We go to town on it Okay, well, you're very welcome back to the F1 Pod on Off the Ball. It's episode two. Delighted to be with you. And uh, it's uh, going to be weekly now between uh, now and the end of the season, live on Wednesdays in the F1 Pod Podcast feed and the Off the Ball Daily Podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. The F1 Pod on OTB brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza. Real takeout taste for less with Chicago Town, We, of course, uh, want to hear your questions, comments and thoughts week by week and episode by episode. Uh, You'll get myself on Twitter at ShaneHannon01. And delighted to welcome for episode two our our special guest. We have Rebecca Clancy back with us, the motor racing correspondent of the UK Times and the Sunday Times. And uh, we have Bernie Collins, who is a former strategy engineer who uh, was most recently head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team uh, for seven years, previously having worked with uh, McLaren before that. Uh, And now F1 pundit, Bernie and Rebecca, how are things?
1: Thank yeah, you, glad well. Thank to be here.
0: You, yeah. Thanks for joining us, uh, Bernie. It's a, it's a, it's been a transition for you. We were just chatting before we started there. It's, um, it's a different side of the Formula One business that you're involved in now, but uh, enjoyable all the same, I'd imagine.
2: Yeah, it's lovely to be fit to see the paddock from a different aspect and be fit to walk you know sort of long ways across the paddock see the different teams see what they're up to um and enjoy it more a bit i guess as a spectator so fit to look at it um, you know from a bigger picture sort of view rather than just what you're trying to do yourself over a race again so it's definitely a different side of f1 we sort of the tv came to me before and i didn't think about what went into it so now we're we're learning a lot
0: because so i remember i remember you talking about um before, when you see race strategists on the in the pit lanes and the paddocks, you're you're, you're thinking, well, what are they listening to? That at, at any specific moment, so you have a headset on and you're listening to essentially one driver in one ear and the other driver and the other and the other ear. Am I right in saying that? Because it sounds it sounds like a lot.
2: Yeah, exactly. So basically, anyone in those sort of central positions that are working across both cars, obviously, when we're talking to each other, like now, we try and speak at different times we're not just talking over each other but the drivers aren't aware when each other are talking so conversations are happening at the same time and that's actually it's weird but your mind gets used to a very simple way to split it up and it's not just the communication that we split up but you know they've got different sides of the garage that matches even the data I had on my screen that matched the sides that I was listening to so your brain starts to work out you know if it's left it's one driver and right it's another so it's easy it's very interesting how quickly you adapt to to trying to take in both strands of information
0: Rebecca, you must have advice for for Bernie coming into the this big dangerous bold media industry like it's a it's another side of the of the thing completely but but I'm sure you're well used to it. Oh
1: just say good luck. I mean <laughs> I think the uh, from the media from the media point of view it's um I find it to be a really friendly paddock uh when I started, I didn't really have any issues I was just accepted into the role um and i think everyone's very willing to help and if you've got questions even silly questions you know you can just approach any team any pr and they're happy happy to chat to you and and i found it very welcoming so i'm I'm hoping bernie is getting the same experience
2: Yeah, it's been interesting because there's loads of people that you meet in airports or you've seen through life or you've read some of the articles or whatever. And now you're sort of working with those. It does feel like there's a lot of friendly faces out there. And a lot of it, like you say, seems like stupid questions. There's like an acronym for something in the media world or whatever that I've never heard before. So I spend a lot of my time asking what to them must be really simple questions.
1: I found even at the start, really stupid things that no one's actually called their name and so everyone would be called a nickname and I would have to spend time trying to work out who they were while trying to keep up with the conversation. And, and that blew my mind for a while. And you were saying that, Bernie, we spend an inordinate amount of time together. You know, it's not just what you see for Bernie's point of view on screen or for me writing. We are in airport lounges or in on the planes together. We're all chatting. And um, yeah, it's I mean, you don't spend this much time with your best friends or, or your family a lot of the time, especially in the second half of the year. So it gets quite it gets quite intense.
0: Yeah, it's one of the it's one of those industries, isn't it? I, I even think, Bernie, I've heard you saying before. Uh, I think Sky Sports or something did a did a piece with you, trying to get to know you and and, and putting up a short clip on online uh, when you got the gig, the, the punditry gig, and and you said teleportation is probably one of the the things you'd love to have. And I think Rebecca would probably agree with that. Like just getting from from event to event is, is totally draining. I can imagine cutting that out of it completely would be the would be the dream.
2: Yeah, like I sat in Barcelona airport this weekend just after flying home from the race. Um, and we got there quite early. So we were there for quite a long time before the flight. And you think, I'd love to have overtime kept track of the amount of time I've sat in an airport lounge or waiting at a bag carousel or whatever it is. And I think it is one of those things that people see the end of the race, but they don't see necessarily the work that goes in afterwards, you know, for, for everyone involved in all aspects of it. Um, and you sort of get home in the middle of the night and you're just like, oh, the race ended, you know, eight, nine hours ago and I'm only just getting in the door.
1: And the jet lag, especially (laughs) like it's fine now with Europe, but you, you know, I'm very grateful for the job I do, but, and you do Singapore, Japan, and then you're back for a week and then suddenly you find yourself over the other side of the world doing Austin and Mexico. And that's really hard. And, and, you know, I mean, for you, Benny, you've got to be on screen. I sort of hide behind my laptop in a way and I don't have to worry too much about how much concealer I've remembered to pack. <laughs> um, but it's uh, yeah, it's really brutal. And and I would dread to think the amount of time I've wasted in airports by flight delays, particularly since uh, COVID. But even before then, really, it's just planes are never on time.
0: Have you found ways, Rebecca, of, of dealing with the with the jet lag? Because like I, I feel like people involved in Formula One who are heading off to these, far corners of the world constantly must be the most, the most well-traveled people in some ways.
1: Um, so this is probably really boring and not what people want to hear. So I don't drink on long haul flights um, because it, it just messes you up in ways that you cannot recover from. Um, and you've got to stop thinking. And this is really hard for me in particular, because I'm always working to UK deadlines. But as soon as you arrive somewhere, you've got to start thinking of that time zone. So from the second you step on the plane, You need to be thinking, this is when I need to sleep. This is when this needs to happen. And actually, especially when you do long haul, they're quite good at giving you the meal that you're having for the destination you're going to. And you might think it's really odd, but you have to just embrace that. Uh, and it helps but I mean ultimately there's you know people who say they don't get jet lag I don't believe but I mean there are a few things you can do but it's it's just a brutal part of the job really
0: yeah I can imagine takes time to get used to it uh, good advice all the same no drinking a long haul flights I'm going to remember that one for sure
1: sorry people probably don't like that one <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's good it's it's perfect it makes sense to be honest with you and um, we might as well get into the uh the action last weekend guys I know we have a, a couple of weeks break now but the um the Spanish Grand Prix last weekend, Max Verstappen has now extended his lead at the top of the driver's championship standing. So looking at the points here in front of me, 170 points now for Verstappen. That's the five wins and seven podiums. You've Perez back on 117, Um, ahead of Fernando Alonso, who's on 99. You've Hamilton on 87, fourth, and George Russell, as things stand, on 65 points uh, with his uh, zero wins, one podium um, for Mercedes. So... Uh, I mean, it was the the third planned race weekend in a row. Of course, the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix didn't happen. So as a result, it was the second race of this doubleheader, um, the circuit to Barcelona-Catalunya. And Bernie, I I guess the the, the circuit layout in Spain was was one of the talking points heading into the weekend. And I think it's one that the drivers seem to embrace and enjoy.
2: Yeah, I was really unsure going into it. You sort of look at the different layout and you look at how we the Spanish Grand Prix we've had in the past and I was sort of thinking, you know, it's been a multi-stop race in the past. It's been reasonably okay to overtake. I was worried that it might change the pit loss too much or might reduce the lap time too much. So I was a bit apprehensive let's say going into it but then the feedback on Friday instantly was really good from all the drivers it seemed to help the overtaking into turn one which you know we have to wait and see there was actually a lot of feedback post race that it was too easy to overtake into turn one and it increased the degradation a wee bit which meant that we still had the multi-stop race so it still was really interesting strategically and I think, you know, the fee- just the feedback from the drivers they seem to really enjoy that final turn now. So it does seem like it was a step forward. My only question mark is are the complaints that overtaking was too easy into turn one gonna mean that we end up reverting or changing the DRS so maybe going forward next year.
0: Yeah, it seems to be the the case. It it, it brings up more questions than answers sometimes when they when they change a circuit. And yet, um, I guess at the weekend, Rebecca, like Domination, really, from start to finish from Max Verstappen, um, extending that championship lead, as I said, to 53 points and a grand slam for him in terms of pole position, leading every lap, fastest lap. Uh, so it's a rare enough set. Um, so he has three of those now at just the age of 25. Um, quite remarkable. And, and really, you just knew from the first corner the race was his.
1: I'm slightly surprised he's only got three, to be honest, because mm. he's been so dominant this year. It's pretty ridiculous where we are in terms of the standings already. I mean, I don't think anyone particularly other than uh, Sergio Perez thought he was really in the running for the championship. We all know Max is going to win his fourth, world, third world championship sorry, this year. Um, but this was a display of total dominance. And I just sort of want to caveat it slightly because drivers do always have tracks that they love and you know, cast our minds back to 2016 and Max Verstappen on his debut for Red Bull having been promoted to the top team sort of a courseway through the season won in Spain for them and has loved this track ever since really uh, and he, they were always going to go very well here we know they've got the straight line speed as you know, Bernie hinted on there with the removal of the last chicane Um, it made it so much faster so that it almost did benefit Red Bull Um, but I, he's just in a different league isn't he and I think you know, there's the debate between man and machine in F1 that will go on for, you know, till the end of time. But I think what we're seeing with his teammate in Checo, who is really struggling now, has had three bad weekends, uh, which is not great for him and is really starting to pile on the pressure. And I think he'll slightly get away with it because there's no other team really challenging at the moment. But you just see what Verstappen can do with that car. And it looks like the most perfect car that they've ever built. And, you know, we saw back in 2010 to 13 they won four championships. Not, not particularly convincing. You know, they went into two of those with, you know, multiple drivers possible winning the championship. Um, and, but this, they just seem unstoppable. And I I can't really see, and I know we'll come on to Mercedes, but I can't really see. Anyone getting close to them um, for the next couple of years, really, possibly Mercedes will do it, but the next set of regs don't come in until 2026, and they just look so dominant. And because of what Verstappen is able to do on track, and as we saw in Spain at the weekend, Red Bull are probably thinking, "Do you know what? We've got this one sewn up." And, And I know no team will ever be that complacent, but they'll be starting to look to next year already. Whereas the other teams, they're still looking at this year and thinking, "Crikey, we've just got to keep going. We've got to keep working on this car." and Red Bull are just getting stronger and stronger and stronger and, you know, cast your minds back to last year when they had the, um, the penalty for the overspend of budget overspend. And they were supposed to have their wind tunnel time reduced and it just doesn't seem to be having any impact on them. And, you know, that will come into effect a bit later in the year and maybe we'll see the gap close more than it would have done. But he, they're, just, they're just both of them, team and driver are imperious at the moment.
0: And it's, you can't take any credit I guess away from from Max Verstappen just what he what he's doing and I know a lot of people who maybe dip in and out of Formula One are hoping for a tighter drivers championship and a tighter constructors championship and it's just Bernie not gonna not gonna be that way and like it's funny like for for people unfamiliar with the inner workings of a Formula One car and, and the different teams and, and and what goes into the the decision making process behind the behind the drivers and um, like what what sort of tracks. Is Max Verstappen most dominant in, or is is it a case now that he is just so ultra dominant, re- regardless of where he where he goes?
2: I think it's almost better to look at what tracks his competition is stronger in, because I think Max, you know, is fit to be really strong at, at any of the tracks he goes to. And it's a bit disappointing, you know. We touched on it there with check over the last few events. Him missing the Monaco event effectively, not having a good qualifying, that is an event that should have suited him. That's an event that should have been fit to take it to Max. You know, pre that event, the championship was very close. It was, I think, a 3-2 split on wins at that stage. And then that event just sort of sealed that a little bit for Checo. So I think Max has the power to dominate. Anywhere. And I think at events, unfortunately, like Barcelona, we're actually not seeing him drive to the full capacity of the car, even. You know, we qualify and he boarded the final lap in Q3. That's ridiculous at this sort of stage, you know, at this level of competition that they have a car good enough to abort a Q3 lap and see of a tyre. Um, you know, that's unheard of in recent years, really. Um, And a little bit of that is because Czech have gone out at that stage. But It's more what events, you know, on the street circuits we know suit Cecho and that's why the Monaco result in particular was so disappointing. This weekend, again, probably disappointing for Cecho, but not a surprise that he wasn't fit to get all the way back because that's not a circuit that suits him. And it's going to be just how the years are maybe a bit more confident um, than you are, Rebecca, in terms of what Mercedes can do potentially beginning of next year. We've seen them make a good step in Barcelona. It's one track. So we can't really say that's it. But you know, can they beginning of next year be there or thereabouts? And I think unfortunately this year we're going to have to focus on the battles further back. I think the battle at the front, let's see what Checo does, or if the stop and misses a re potentially for reliability or whatever. You know, it's not done yet. But the battles further back, the Mercedes, the Aston, the Ferrari that's possibly going to be where we're going to have to get our teeth into because that's going to be really interesting midfield.
0: You'd have worked very closely with with Checo Perez and Bernie. Like, what, what, how will he be dealing with the likes of this, these disappointing race weeks, week after week? Because he seems very mentally strong. And I know these guys will all have access to sports psychologists and, and a great family behind them and and all the rest. Um, but how will he be coping with, with some very disappointing results?
2: So I'm a bit surprised again in Spain that he didn't bounce back stronger. Maybe it's the circuit didn't suit him, but he is one of the strongest people mentally from a sports point of view that I've ever worked with. You'd have a bad qualifying, you know, we might go out in Q1, whatever it would be. And he would be the first person in the office saying, right, what are we going to do about the race? Even before I'd switch my mindset to the race, you know, you were still fuming a little bit from whatever gone on. And he would very quickly change his mindset. He has a great support network and his family behind him. They're there at a lot of tracks his trainers in particular do a good job as well. So he is mentally very strong. And I think that's why he's been fit to enter that Red Bull team, build up and, you know, take it to Verstappen more than we've seen other competitors within Red Bull and be fit to stay there. You know, He's built it up year on year. He's finished better in the championship, let's say, relative to Verstappen. So he is very, very strong. And I think if anyone has the ability to start to close the gap again it will be Czechos I just think that Verstappen is so strong and such you know a driver that maybe we've not seen it's very hard to compare drivers across cars and eras or whatever but has really shown Verstappen's grown a lot a few years ago, Verstappen was a qualifier. He would qualify really, really well. And then in the race, get a bit hot-headed, have an instant, have an accident, not play the long game. We've seen such a change in him over the last few years. Even simple things like this weekend in Barcelona, not being ultra competitive into turn one because he knows he doesn't need to win it then and he is thinking more strategically more about the race more about the championship so he has developed I think more than we've potentially realised in the last few years
0: Yeah the decision making seems to have gone to, to another level like it would be lovely I guess uh, from a neutral point of view to see a different race winner whether that's whether that is Checo or Alonso in, in the coming three or four races but uh, such as Verstappen's dominance it's, it's tough to see where it comes from and um, Rebecca, you, you mentioned Mercedes. We, we might as well touch on, on them because you did a very good weekend, I think, overall. You, you, you could certainly say um, they had the technical upgrades to this W14 car, Lewis Hamilton, a very accomplished drive in second, albeit a distant second, behind Verstappen. Uh, and George Russell was was, was excellent. Uh, 12th on the grid to complete the podium uh, and come back and, and claw his way past uh, various, various opponents. Um, what did you make of their performance, generally? I'm sure they'll be absolutely buzzing to have two drivers in a podium.
1: Yeah, so they're their first double podium of the year. So they'll be absolutely delighted, I'm sure. And it shows. So they bought their big upgrades. As you mentioned, the race in Nimla didn't happen because of the flooding there. Monaco is not really a place to trial upgrades. And so this was the first time we really got to see that they have totally scrapped their own design, which was the no side pods. And they've copied every other team on the grid, basically, with these side pods. And it seems to have worked for them so far. Lewis Hamilton, I think, is probably the best indicator because he is so senior in that team. He is so accomplished in his career. He's so comfortable with what he says. And he came out and said it was the basically the best the car has felt since the start of last year. He didn't think that he would be challenging this year. And I, like, let's be realistic, he won't be. But he was pretty sure from what he was being shown by the team and what he was experiencing in the drive, that they would have closed the gap by the end of this year and they would be there or thereabouts at the start of next year. I think my only concern is, and Bernie touched on it there, we're not seeing Verstappen push, and he still crossed the line more than 20 seconds ahead of Hamilton, who was pushing. And there is so much more in that red Bull, and so much more in Verstappen to give that I almost feel that he's kind of flirting with, I don't know, 80% of his ability, you know, Stappen was being told off for pushing too hard and going over the white lines and he was told not to go for fastest lap and he, you know, he was basically bored at the front and messing about and and I think if Mercedes turn up next year where we hope they will be at the front, um, I, ha- I just feel like Red Bull have another gear to go but all of that said, I think Mercedes should be very pleased with where they are. I think race fans should be very pleased with what, what they have achieved and I, I, I think they deserve credit because they didn't stick to their guns. They admitted defeat and they saw that they were going wrong. And, you know, there was a lot of talk earlier in the year, Lewis Hamilton, saying that they hadn't listened to me and, you know, we're in this position because no one took me seriously. And, you know, that's what I mean when I'm saying he's very honest about the direction of the team. And it seems like they have. And from, you know, Bernie will know the figures a lot better than me, but estimated it's about a million dollars for these upgrades that they've brought in on the side pods in particular. And that's a huge chunk of their development budget. You know, we have budget caps now. A million dollars is, you you don't mess about with that. You've got to be absolutely committed and know what you're doing and really sure that these upgrades are going to work. And I think both drivers would have left Spain and Barcelona, although maybe not George, because he's still there um, doing testing, unluckily for him. But they would have both left that race on Sunday pretty happy with the direction that the team is going in. And I would say, you know, Lewis Hamilton revealed that he was going to sit down with Toto Wolff on Monday and they were gonna thrash out the contract. They said it would only take half an hour and then it would all be done. And he's got to be stepping away from that car thinking, Do you know what? I think I want two years with this because it might not be this year. We'll get closer than next year and then the following year. And actually, is that eighth championship back in touch? If they can keep going this direction and that team, that ability, that talent that they have, there's absolutely no reason why they can't be back fighting in the next couple of years.
0: You agree, Bernie? Like are they are they uh, clearly they won't be that close this season, but but can they start looking ahead to next year, the year after as, as years where they can genuinely contend Mercedes?
2: Yeah, I think the step they took this weekend, I don't think anyone was expecting it to be that strong. I was, you know, surprised to see how quickly they overtook the Austins, for example. I think maybe the Austins had a poor weekend. I'm sure, we'll get on to that. But Um, I was impressed by the step they took this weekend to get two of them in the podium. And I was actually trying to think when the last time there was two of them in the podium, because I don't think it happened all of last year either. I was surprised how long it took to realise the old concept wasn't working. I was really surprised to see them rock that out testing this year, having, you know, survived it all of last year. Why run that car first weekend of testing and then go oh it's still not any good I'm not really sure where they thought that was going to be now I'm not an aerodynamicist so you know there was maybe something they were hoping for but and then to very quickly turn it around so they've obviously had this other design work in progress so they it feels like they've missed an opportunity you know with the first X number of races this year to get that on the running I think their hope will be and they are a strong team they're you know throughout the factory um. Throughout the race team organisation, they're a very strong team. So I would expect them to be at the beginning of next year in the run. Now Red Bull are still developing in the background. You don't know what they have on hold. You don't know what they have in the pocket. Yes, they don't have the wind tunnel time. But we've seen year on year Red Bull are strong aerodynamically. There's next to nothing in the engines these days. So it is just that aero race. And every time Red Bull bring an upgrade it seems to work you very rarely see something go in that car that comes off the next week so it's going to be interesting what happens the beginning of next year I think Mercedes can be very hopeful but I also fear that Lewis knows how to play the game he knows how to get the team and Brackley behind him he knows what to say in order that the designers are going yeah this is working keep plodding along because it will be a tough old slog in the design office so I think there's a bit of He's definitely sounding very positive and that's very good. But there's a bit of him knowing the game, you know, he knows how to get the team behind him, he knows how to rally the people and he knows that he needs those people in order to be winning at the beginning of the next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it was even fun to see hear the the I guess there was a bit of crack and fun on the the Mercedes uh, radio uh, you know, during the race in Spain at the weekend as well. I think there was one point Russell pops on and says rain at turn five and it turned out a few, a few laps later he realised it was just a sweat inside his visor. So uh, I guess that can happen as well. Um, That's annoying
2: because lo- I was really hoping for rain because the red arc showed <laughs> rain being really close. So the whole race I was hoping, and then it was like a bit of like justification that the rain was coming, and then suddenly it wasn't.
0: Yeah, I think everyone was in similar vein to yourself, Bernie, hoping for a little little bit of rain, a few drops at least. And um, there's loads more to get into, guys. We're we're going to take a, a very quick uh, break, but uh, we'll be back in a second with myself, Shane Hannon, uh, on the F1 pod on off the ball. We've Rebecca Clancy and Bernie Collins uh, with us. We'll be back in uh, just a sec. The F1 Pod On Off The Ball With Chicago Town Pizza Formula 1 Yeah We go to town on it Yeah you're very welcome back To the F1 Pod On Off The Ball uh, Get it wherever you get your podcast. The F1 Pod podcast feed And the Off The Ball Daily podcast feed as well uh, and of course, check in with us at hannon one uh, on Twitter if you have any questions. Delighted to have Rebecca Clancy, the motor racing correspondent of the UK Times and the Sunday Times. And Bernie Collins, former strategy engineer, uh, most recently the head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team for seven years. And now an uh, F1 pundit as well. Um, we should talk Aston Martin, I guess, Bernie, because um, Fernando Alonso, we spoke about him last week, myself and Rebecca and David Kennedy. Uh, and he's just lit up the season and been really, really enjoyable to watch. Um and look, you've been worked very closely with him, and he's a he's a very likable character. Seems to always have a have a bit of crack, but um, he'll want that race win this year, won't he?
2: Yeah, I think he will. So it's weird in that he joined after I left. So I've not actually worked with Alonso. I've heard, you know, there's a lot of interesting things. He's he's renowned for being a very hard worker. He's renowned for being very tough on the team, pushing very hard as Sebastian Vettel was before him. So he would be really again trying to bring the team along with them, pushing for different ideas he's had from his previous teams, trying to get the entire team behind him to get that win. And, you know, I was really surprised how strong Aston were at the beginning of this year. He has brought a new dimension to that. He is pushing very hard, pushing through the qualifying, really getting the results. I think he was probably hopeful that maybe Monaco was their chance of the win, but there will be other opportunities, you know. And Aston, in my experience, have a very, very strong trackside team. You know, the strategy team there, the race engineering team there is very, very strong. And they have always, you know, throughout the previous seasons, being in those positions to pick up the wins or the seconds where others falter. And I think that, you know, again, has been normally the case this year. So they will put themselves where they can in the best position. The difficulty I think they have with that is, as we've just talked about Mercedes, is are Mercedes going to make the steps like we've seen in Spain before they get that win opportunity? So they really needed to come potentially sooner in the season than later. Um, as well, the sort of mid-season takes a, a you know, a checkpoint at the aero development where their aero development at the end of the season, if they're in P two or P three, will drop dramatically from where it is now. So they do need to be trying to, you know, get ahead of the game on that and get the points on the board
0: now. Rebecca, from from Aston Martin's perspective, it was it was good to see Lance Stroll compete because he's kind of found it hard to, to compete with Fernando Alonso so far this year. And you saw in Spain, uh, Alonso, of course, qualifies in uh, in eight, three places behind uh, Lance Stroll. Uh, and then they finished sixth and seventh in the race itself. But Stroll was impressive. Like he uh, kind of had a couple of little moments with Lewis Hamilton in the early stages as well. Um, and then scores those good points in sixth. So from Aston Martin's perspective, I guess Lance Stroll will be, will be pretty pleased.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd say he, he needed a race weekend like this. He has been struggling against Alonso. Um, he is a good driver. You know, you can't buy super licenses. You have to earn them and he earned his. Then he has his place on the grid for, you know, whatever reason you think, you know, his dad buying the team or whether you think he's good enough. But he he had to show himself to be in position. The, the cynic in me, I suggest, would probably say that if Alonso had decided to actually challenge him at the end the places would have been a different way around. Um, I thought that radio message from Alonso was uh, interesting where he radioed the team to say, don't worry, lads, I'm closing the gap to Lance Stroll, but um, it's, I'm not going to challenge him. I'm just trying to open up a gap to the cars behind me. And, you know, sort of, I you mean, know, I don't know Alonso well by any stretch of the imagination, but the years and years I've covered this sport There was a. I don't think it was quite as innocent and friendly as, as uh, you know, the tone of his voice suggested. Shall we say, Um, it was perhaps a little bit patronising in the sense of if I wanted him, I could take him. But you know, I'm here for Alonso. I'm I'm all here for Alonso. I'm here for his next win. I'm here for what he's doing for Aston Martin. I think he is out driving that car. Uh, Maybe Bernie won't agree with me, Um, but I think you know, at 41, I don't, he doesn't seem to be dropping away, um, giving great hope to those of us about to turn 40. Um, So he is, uh, he's, he's an absolute shining light for, for F1 actually, do you know, I'd go as far as to say that because, you know, Bernie mentioned it earlier that Verstappen is going to go on and win and win and win. And we are realistically looking at a season where he wins or Red Bull win every single race. And so we are looking down the grid, but in years gone by, that would have irked me slightly, but I'm like I find myself constantly looking for Alonso and what he's doing and who he's challenging and who he's racing and he just races in a different way. He finds gaps that don't really exist and he does overtakes that aren't really there and you know it's all good, clean, fun racing. It's really old school racing that I I in particular really enjoy. Um, and so I you know I do think he's outperforming that car, but but I think he's I think he's brilliant and I and I think he perhaps. Gifted is probably not the right word, but I I think if he had wanted that sixth place, he probably could have taken it. But not to take away from Lance Stroll, who, who needed a strong weekend and, and did have it.
0: And there was even the moment, uh, kind of went a little bit viral on Twitter, where you see Alonso waving to the to the home Spanish crowd with the race still ongoing. Which was, uh, you know,
1: I thought he was on his cool down lap, and it was only when <laughs> I realised that actually it was the final lap, and he was still technically sort of racing. And I was thinking, he, I find a job that you love as much as Alonso loves his job, and you'll be set for life. Like oh, it's amazing. Uh,
0: oh, it was incredible, and that that's the thing, as Rebecca touched on there, Bernie. Like, I, I I'll use the word ego because I know, look, uh, of, of twenty drivers on the grid. There are egos in every single one of those human beings that get behind a Formula One car. There's no question about that. But it must be it must be tough when you're when you're dealing with the likes of that. When when there's little messages on the radio between, say, Alonso and Stroll, and and you're trying to read the the little mixed messages in between them. Like, is that tough from a race strategy perspective when you when you know the two personalities and you're and you're trying to I'm not naming any names, but you're trying to I guess keep them both happy.
2: I think it's interesting because they're all the same. Like They'll all say a message that has an undertone to it or a slight code to it. And it becomes this relationship like you basically know how to finish each other sentences and you can read in between the lines. And I totally agree with Rebecca. I think that P6 was Alonso's. should he have wanted it. And he played the team game and he stood behind. And in many ways, that's the right thing to do because there's lots of things that can fall out of that. So looking through some of the strategies from the race, The team stopped Lance Stroll on the same strategy as Alonso 10 laps earlier. So a lot of the pace dealt at the end actually came because Lance had 10 laps more deg on those tyres. And in Barcelona, the deg's quite significant. You know, Alonso closed the gap. I think he was eight and a half seconds behind at that final pit stop. He had to overtake three cars and then he was still right behind Lance. So that last stint being shorter for Alonso really made the difference in race time. And that, that you can see that up and down the grid. So it's the same situation with the two Mercedes against the Ferrari. A lot of it comes down to stop lap. And in Barcelona, you really need optimum stop laps to have the quickest race time because the overtaking is possible. So I think partly Alonso will have known that as well. He'll have known there was higher drag those tyres. Often if you do that overtake at the end, the person that you overtake loses so much temperature that their tyres totally fall off then at the end. So it will 100% have been the safe thing to do from the team side. And Alonso's, you know, he's been around the block a few times. He knows the score. He knows it's, you know, Lance's father owns a team and he's given a little bit back and it's a very small gift to give at this stage of the year the difference between p6 and p7 but definitely he's trying to show the team player stuff we've seen that on radio messages all year that i'm doing this to help my teammate side and you know all drivers fundamentally are there for their result they're they're selfish beings that's what makes them an f1 driver nobody's got there by gifting anyone anything and they're all the same the whole grid's the same everyone is in it for themselves everyone's competitive like you say on the pit wall it is difficult because you are trying to manage the team points so for sure the, the central people on the pit wall will be saying we need to hold positions individual race engineers will be you know Lance's race engineer will be saying oh I think we should hold position and Alonso's race engineer will be saying oh I think we should let them fight you know it's always it's going to be the same management across the whole pit wall but team points are what counts the championship position. That's where the money comes at the end of the year. So ultimately, it's the right thing to do. done, whether the instruction was discussed in advance or not. Many teams have rules in advance of what's going to happen in those sort of final ups. And particularly because Alonso didn't really have the chance to get anyone else. It was just going to be Lance. It's 100% the right thing to have done. But yeah, I, I really love listening to the team radio now because there's so many undertones of messages that it's it's really interesting
0: yeah it's amazing such a delicate little uh, tight rope to walk as well for the for the team strategists um and you don't want i guess uh, to see what what happened in qualifying between Hamilton and, and and Russell as well when you have two drivers from the same team uh, touching it just it doesn't happen too often but it's certainly spicy to see when it when it does um we should touch on Ferrari as well Rebecca like Carlos Sainz a brilliant qualification uh, on the front row in front of the spanish crowd as well Um, and then faded a little bit in the race for sure Finishes fifth, he'd be disappointed with that, given where he started. Uh, and Charlotte Claire really disappointed back in back in eleventh, disastrous qualifying, uh, starting for the pit lane, of course, with the fresh gearbox. Um, but from a Ferrari perspective, it's kind of same old, same old, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would start with Ferrari saying it was another bad weekend. But one of their big weaknesses is. Tire deck and I hate talking about tires, but as Bernie <laughs> has touched on, it's actually really important in Barcelona. So they're really struggling with tire deck. This is Barcelona is one of the highest, the worst for it. And so their performance, they were never going to go great here because they still don't understand that car. They don't understand why they're struggling so much with the tires. For me, you know, look looking at the drivers themselves, it was a great performance from Carlos Sainz. I still don't believe. The drivers really have full faith in that car particularly charlotte Clark. i think he's really 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 struggling with it and i think as the season goes on it's just getting harder and harder we saw they brought big upgrades as well they've even they've changed their side pods as well they've gone very much more down the red bull um style of side pod um but they the problem is with that team now is they don't understand the car They've got a new team principal in Fred Fusser, who is a very established, very well respected, very good team principal in the biggest job of his life, under the most pressure he'll ever have in his career. And teams are tankers. They take a long time to turn, take a long time with development and to change things within the team. The problem he has now is the drivers seem to be very rapidly losing faith in both team and car and you know, Fred knows Charles very well from the junior category days. You know, Charles raced for him back in the day when he was in F3 and F2. So they know each other really well. Um, but you cannot afford to let your the morale of the team get away from you because once that happens, it's an he has an even harder task uh, on hand. And I don't think that there's anyone who thinks that Ferrari are going to be challenging. I don't think they'll be in the same camp as Mercedes at the end of the year. I think they've they have fallen such a long way, and I think. I think this season I'm even a bit shocked by how far they've fallen and and I know there's been a management change and there's been a bit of a reshuffle within strategy and and how the the departments are set up and so that will take time but I'm I'm a bit surprised by how far they've fallen and I'm really surprised by how much Charles Leclerc is struggling with that car because he's not one of those drivers who needs the car to be perfect. I, th- I would say Carlos Sainz is—he needs the car to be set up exactly how he wants for to perform at you know the level that the team would expect. Whereas I don't put Charles in that camp, um, and he's really struggling with with this car. And I and I think Ferrari have got big problems ahead of them.
0: Yeah, I think from a, from a strategy and decision making. Perspective. We we certainly they're the team that we end up talking the most about, um, and even in last week's episode we spoke about the different decisions from the previous year and how some of that had carried on into into this season. Like Bernie, that that tire dig that um, Rebecca mentions. Can you make it sexy for us because it's a uh, it's really not a sexy topic. But like when you see the likes of Charlotte and Claire, you know they start him on on hard tires and then they call him in early and put him back out in the traffic. So like, it, it is an important topic.
2: Yeah, and I, it's funny because, you know, since my history and we spoke a lot about tyres, now every time I speak, see, go to speak about it, I can see all the other people just like fade in a little yeah. bit. Everyone's just slowly going to sleep, but I'll try my best. So the, the the few interesting things stand out, and Rebecca sort of covered them a little bit, is, you know, they started, I think, from the and thinking, Barcelona, easy to overtake, we'll make some good ground up through it. And... Leclerc just didn't really progress. So There was no speed in the car there, trust to make the overtakes, whatever it is. There was no progression through that first stint, which there should have been, given the pace of the Ferrari versus who he's racing against. The Carlos, the signs one's very interesting strategically for me. So we commented a little bit on the difference between Alonso and Stroll in terms of that final stint. The Ferrari stopped 10 laps before Russell on the same strategy. Despite Carlos saying to the team, we need to be patient, So that ten laps is very detrimental in the second two stints of the race, where you know they're suffering more deg by having to they have to do those ten laps somewhere. The soft was holding on well. They stopped him into traffic. So he stops into traffic, he's pushing to hold the pit window to Lewis. And pushing the first few laps on a tyre out is one of the reasons we create that high dag at the end. So they're not doing enough, in my opinion, to help themselves with that high degradation. You know you have high degradation. So stopping that early in a race is not helping your degradation in the final two stints with a driver who's saying he's pretty happy on the tyres, be patient, let's wait. And I get the reasons they do it. And I'm the first person to say strategy is easy in hindsight. All of it's easy in hindsight. But they just need to put themselves in a slightly stronger position and make the most of it. So there's calculations out there that say just because of the choice of their stop laps, they lose, they lost eight and a half seconds to Mercedes. Now, they finished further than that behind Mercedes. But every eight and a half seconds is crucial at the end of the race to, to just have you in a slightly better position. They stopped into traffic. All of these things mount up during the race. And, you know, I think Rebecca's right. All of these little things, and, you know, we've seen previous races as well, the drivers have started, I think, the year with a good reset. They seemed all pretty aligned at the start of the year, although the car wasn't good. And that is drifting through the year. And they'll start to question more and more what's going on, or more and more design philosophy, or whatever it might be. So it is going to be a big management to keep that team together, I think, going forward. Um and I really, I really thought that you know this weekend would be a good opportunity for them to. At least have a good result, you know, with with Carlos, and that just didn't pan out. Yeah,
0: unfortunately for them, and and, and you look at other teams as well. Uh, McLaren, Rebecca, one that we should probably focus on, given given the qualifying from Lando Norris. You're thinking this is this is amazing, um, qualifying on the second row in third in, in Catalonia, uh, and he probably knew he'd struggle during the race, but uh, misjudged the first two cor- corners quite poorly. Uh, front wing damage against uh, Hamilton as well. Uh, and then he he ends up finishing back in seventeenth, and Oscar Piastri ahead of him in in thirteenth. Um, so a weekend, I guess Rebecca for for Norris that to promise so much and delivered so little.
1: Well, he made mistakes. I I think um he's the first to put his hand up and admit that I think his qualifying was brilliant, but I think he uh got a few a bit lucky in a few places. Um. McLaren were never going to finish on the podium and I think Norris was quite honest about that in his pre-race interview saying look I'm not going I'm not going to end up here you know I'm I'm going to drift back it's just a case of how many cars I can hold off I think McLaren I are in big trouble so they started the year with a car that wasn't ready they said that they had development they had, that they admitted that they had missed their development targets which is a big concern I think that we are going, well, James Key obviously left um, their uh, technical director. And I think, I think Zach Brown, and this is probably a bit ballsy, but I think Zach Brown, the chief executive of McLaren Racing, is starting to be in trouble, if I'm honest. I think Andreas Seidel, who was there previously, has gone over to Sauber, soon to be Audi. Um, he got out at the right time, but I think he also has responsibility for the position that McLaren find themselves in. I think that Brown has to take responsibility for the poor, poor, really poor position that McLaren find themselves in. They were moving forward. Um, I thought they were making progress, you know, back in the days of Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren, which feels much longer than last year. You know, he was winning in Italy and Norris was second and they looked like they had made steps forward. And I've not even in my head really got to the bottom of why they are now so far down the pecking order. They have got it so wrong, it seems, in every single department. I I don't know what kind of mess went on last year with the whole um, Danny Rick out and Oscar Piastri in. You know, that's, that's not good for team morale at all, um, you know, Norris was very good to kind of keep his head out of it and just sort of stayed away from it, but it, it has an impact. You know, is this how you treat people? Is this how you think it's okay to treat people? You know, that knocks on through every single person in the team, you know, right down to hospitality up to the, the top management, everyone becomes a bit like, well, hang on, you're willing to, you know, we know that they paid out the rest of Daniel Ricardo's contract. They finally admitted it. And, um, you know, they're just throwing away millions on and paying out a contract. Okay. That bit doesn't come out of the budget cap because driver salaries and associated costs don't, but that's a lot of money just wasted. And they, they aren't in a good place right now. And we are getting to a position now. And Zach Brown must be getting to a very uncomfortable position where he's got to be looking at what is going wrong. And I would say looking at himself.
0: Do you go along with that, Bernie, like the, the concerns that Rebecca has for, for McLaren that the, the new car livery certainly not hiding some of the some of the poor performances on track.
2: I was surprised by their performance. I thought this year was at all the marks being an exciting year for McLaren. They finished last year quite strongly, or that you know the car was at least very good despite what went on from the drivers. The driver parents very exciting. You know they're two very good drivers, very young. There's a big development road ahead of them. You thought if they could just build a bit on last year, build those two drivers then it has a real good option going forward. I sort of, my only slight difference of opinion is when you see the team on the ground, the race engineering team, you know, I was there in 2014. It was a very split team, very political, weren't working particularly well together, not because of me. And then, but recently you've seen that team, you know, look a lot more relaxed on the ground. They look a lot more working together. The whole feel of people that you meet in the paddock is sort of, more together. Now, let's see how that progresses through this year. But I sort of had strong hopes for that. And I it's hard to see without a big regulation change, you know, between last year and this year, nothing's changed that much. People are continuing to develop. But how have they dropped so much fundamentally compared to others? I think that's a big question. And it does where are you going forward because if they don't fundamentally understand what's wrong at this stage it's very very hard to develop through the year and it'll be very very hard to put right for next year
0: yeah I'm sure they will be concerned as you say it is an exciting driving line up and um, so from McLaren's fan, McLaren fans' perspective, hopefully they can they can get it right. We, we, before we wrap, guys, just looking at the the upcoming uh, next couple of weeks. So we've got, of course, this weekend off, uh, and then Sunday, eighteenth of June, or that weekend is, of course, the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal. You've got Austria and uh, the British Grand Prix to follow. And um, what are you looking out for, Rebecca? Can you can you foresee in those next, say, for example, three race weekends, Canada, Austria, and and uh, uh, Britain, any anything other than a Max Verstappen win?
1: not in austria i mean it quite literally is the red bull ring it is their track <laughs> uh so no um they pretty much have that one sewn up i think silverstone will be really interesting because i think that track does suit the mercedes car i think if they can continue to move in the direction that we saw you know i'm in i'm with bernie i was surprised at just how much those upgrades made a difference this weekend or last weekend, sorry, in Barcelona. Uh, Canada's always, uh, I adore Canada. Uh, I mean, I'm completely in love with Montreal as a city. The track is brilliant. I love the history. I love the racing. It's really one of the best of the year. Um, And I think it leads to really good racing. And that wall of champions is, you know, no one everyone's been into you know the greats have been into it michael schumacher's been into it they've all been into it so um i I think it's a really interesting challenge it's a very different challenge to a couple of the races we've just had you know there aren't those big runoffs that we see in barcelona it will be much tighter it will be more difficult it's a different challenge for the drivers Uh, but i think that will be brilliant um so you know that could throw up a surprise potentially or perhaps i'm hoping um but yeah austria will be red bull and then Silverstone is definitely one to watch we and had- Aston Martin, who are just over the road, so you can't, um, you definitely can't roll them out for Silverstone. It's pretty much as about as much of a home track as you can get.
0: Yeah, no, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, like Bernie, do you have a favorite track that we we, we kind of got uh, Rebecca's answer on this last week? Um, like you'd said, you said, you're a soft spot for Japan, certainly from a racing oh. perspective. Uh, from your perspective, Bernie, is there anything that when you see the calendar at the start of the year, you're like, oh, I can't wait?
2: I think it's very di- it's very different between the track and the city. So, like Rebecca says, Montreal. There's some cities that we all have a really soft spot for, but maybe we don't necessarily think that the tracks brilliant. But I think the track that stands out as one that I really love is Brazil. You know, the track layout, the the everything about it is is lovely. But it's one that's absolutely um, feels a million miles away. You know, it's really hard to get to. It's, you're very tired when you get there, and actually, the time difference isn't that much. So potentially as a race weekend, it's not your preferred race weekend, but the track in itself and just how far you can see around the track when you're there is just is just brilliant. Um, totally agree with what Rebecca says on the upcoming races. Lewis loves Silverstone. He's went really well there in the past. If Mercedes can get that car close, then potentially Lewis can bring it the rest of the way. And the only other thing I'm sure we'll cover more coming up to is Austria, I think, is going to be another sprint weekend. So that always you know, you can throw up different, slightly different things. I totally agree. Red Bull, I can't see it being anything else, but it's going to be really interesting, just dynamic there. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting a few weeks ahead, I think.
0: Yeah, big time. Looking forward to building up to those uh, next few weeks. Uh, guys, it's been really, really brilliant insight as per usual. Rebecca and Bernie, thanks a million for hopping on.
2: Thank, Thank
0: you Great stuff That is uh, episode 2 Of the F1 pod here On Off The Ball And of course you can subscribe uh, Wherever you get your podcasts It's Rebecca Clancy there And Bernie Collins with us For episode 2 uh, And as I said Send in your questions to us At ShaneHannon01 As myself uh, On Twitter And we'll be back of course Next week With another episode Of the F1 pod On Off The Ball See you soon The F1 pod On Off The Ball With Chicago Town Pizza Formula 1 Yeah We go to town on it